0: Welcome to the Bill Walton Show, featuring conversations with leaders, entrepreneurs, artists, and thinkers. Fresh perspectives on money, culture, politics, and human flourishing. Interesting people, interesting things.
1: Welcome to Common Ground. Uh, We're exploring a new format that i'm roughly calling off the cuff which is where we bring in guests instead of the studio we bring them into our lives via computer specifically the app zoom and it gets allows us to get into business get into action a lot quicker which is very important particularly when things are fast moving there's a there's a real explosion in washington now post uh, helsinki with the press conference that donald trump had and basically said he thought Russian intelligence was doing a better job than U.S. intelligence, and he had to walk that back and, uh, and should have. Uh, but there's a lot going on here with Russia, and it's not as simple as the hysteria that we're seeing on the partisan side. In fact, Republicans are acting a little bit hysterical, too. And, and with me to dig in to this deeper is Herman Perchner, and Herman is the founder of the American, gosh,
0: sure. American Foreign Policy
1: Council. I only had that memorized 53 times. American Foreign Policy Council. He founded it about 30 years ago yeah. uh, and remains CEO. And Herman is one of the country's leading uh, experts in, uh, in Russia. You've been there, what, 79 times, 70 times in the last uh, 30 years or so? Yes, yes. And, you know, Herman, let's let's kick this off with some stunning stuff that's being said and written now. Uh, former CIA director John Brennan who I personally didn't think did that good of a job responded to uh, Donald Trump's press conference by saying Donald Trump's press conference performance in Helsinki was treasonous he's wholly in the pocket of Putin Russian patriots where are you Uh, I don't think that's a very helpful statement and I don't think it sums up where we are Herman where are we right now Uh, let's let's start in the immediate aftermath of the press conference and how much that, that really is going to matter to the Russian-U.S. Uh, relationship.
0: First, a word about Brennan. We know now that he voted, uh, I believe, twice for Gus Hall, the Communist Party candidate for president in the United States. That during the height of the Cold War. He was a young guy and said it was a protest vote. But it says something about his politics and the way he conducted himself during the Obama administration when he was CIA director. Uh, he's a, a fine one to talk about treasonous activities given uh, some of his past record. So. Well, thank you. We've taken, we've knocked that ball out of the park. Yeah. Um, you
1: know, the, um, you know, as you pointed out many times, the thing to understand about Russia is it's run by the KG, KGB. I mean, the communist, or the Soviet Union is no longer uh, uh, running it. It's Russia now, but you still have the same people. Could you describe what the leadership of, uh,
0: well, during of Russia the, is today? During the communist period, uh, the Communist Party was supreme, but also the KGB and the army were uh, legs to that uh, three-legged stool. Now it's a KGB by itself, and they have a culture that's very different than Russian culture. Uh, they do not believe uh, philosophically in democracy. They believe if you don't get in line, it's perfectly acceptable to uh, to kill your opponents. That's uh, kind of the center of their cultural gravity. So I think when you talk about Russian interest, uh, you can't talk about the leadership of uh, Russia today. I think the interest of Putin and the KGB is substantially different than interest of the Russian nation and the Russian people.
1: Well, and, and you don't see student uh, Putin as all that different from
0: Stalin. Uh, well, there is a, is a difference. You know, Stalin killed about 20 million people. It's just a staggering number. Yeah. And uh, Putin's criticism of Stalin, as it has been explained to me, is that you didn't need to kill so many people to terrorize your population and keep them in order. You know, if you can kill uh, select hundred in gruesome fashion and publicize it, everybody else will be scared enough to get in line. And so far that's worked for him.
1: So the only difference is that uh, Putin thinks he's more efficient.
0: Yes. That's,
1: that's chilling. Uh, the, uh, the other thing about Russia is they don't seem to be, a little, uh, we've talked about this with regard to China, uh, they don't seem to have a rule of law in Russia and they don't, and we're over there talking, Helsinki, about pledges and deals and agreements. Uh, it doesn't seem like we can expect much out of them in terms of making an agreement with us and then keeping it.
0: Well, they have no regard for the rural law either internally or externally. You know, if you want to know what a country's elite, not just Russia, but any country's elite, thinks about uh, the future of their country, uh, look what they do with their money. Look what they do with their children. There's practically nobody that's around Putin today, the two, 300 people that are most important to him staying in power, that don't have multiple passports, don't have foreign bank accounts, probably have a relative sitting on their money in foreign countries. And why? Because there's no rule of law that they feel comfortable will protect their assets or their physical well-being inside of Russia. And they're not completely sure what the future of Russia as a country is, so they uh, take it outside of, of uh, their, their wealth and their family outside of Russia, so they have a place to land if things really get bad. They also, as a country, even uh, predating Putin during the Soviet era and then before that, have not paid too much attention to treaties. We sign a treaty, and the U.S. Uh, tends to really adhere to it congressional watchdogs and the press, and they would yell if we weren't. In Russia, they have broken uh, countless treaties and Putin has broken countless treaties.
1: So the, the, when we think about influencing Russia, we need to be thinking about influencing not the mass of Russian people, but the elites that surround Putin. That's, that's correct. And I think you've pointed out that uh, they work very hard to steal their money. Yes. And, and they want their ill-gotten gains safe and if they're they're ready to get out of the country in a, in a moment's notice the, in, the instant they think Putin is uh, is in trouble or, or, or they're in trouble maybe more to the point
0: they want to protect that hard stolen money <laughs> well, and well you, have to, you know it's not not easy if you even if you're doing it illegally with guns to amass a, a billion dollars so it is hard stolen but it's stolen a lot of it
1: Okay, so we're, we've got Donald Trump, who uh, earned earned his bones, as they say, in the, the Godfather movie, in real estate in New York, yeah. and working with the likes of Roy Cohn, who's one of the legendary tough guy lawyers.
0: Yeah,
1: and and real estate development in New York is not a is not a game for the uh, faint of heart. Uh, do you think Trump's makeup, his background, his ability to do that? Uh, uh, has prepared him for Putin?
0: Yes, I, th- I think so. You know, you have a uh, one of the main op-ed writers, editorial writers of the New York Times, David Brooks, has been a critic of uh, Donald Trump. And he wrote maybe a couple months ago, an interesting column talking about all the mob figures you have to deal with if you're building uh, any... Uh, building in New York and talking about Roy Cohn, who was a lawyer for one of the mob families and was also a a Trump lawyer, and he said, you know, that doesn't sound so savory to us, but maybe it's the best preparation for dealing with somebody like Putin, and maybe he can do it better than those of us that sit with Ivy League degrees and, and make pleasant talk in our private clubs or our golf courses.
1: Well, I had some dealings with, with Trump back in the late seventies. I was a baby banker and we were working on financing and his, uh, his foray into Atlantic city. And he had a partnership with Jay Pritzker, who was one of the great financiers and very, very imaginative, interesting man. And I went on the, their jet, I can't remember whose it was to visit Atlantic city. And we went to one of the casinos under construction and the only thing had been done was they had the superstructure and they had the floors poured. And so we went up in the elevator, we're on the fifth or sixth floor. I can't remember. And I'm walking along I'm 28 years old with these, with these guys who supposedly are you know masters of the universe. And I'm saying, have you noticed that these floors are waving up and, I mean, they're, they're poured. They're not level. I mean, there's like a six inch difference in this and that and the other thing. And they said, well, yeah, the the concretes all in Atlantic City is all controlled by the union guys, and I said, "Well, okay. So, what do we? What do you want to do about that?" And he said, "Well, well, you're a you're a smart young guy. Why don't you go negotiate with them?" <laughs> 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 so, 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 I don't know. It's uh, maybe that prepares us for 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 Putin, but uh, it's uh, it, 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 there's tough places all over the world. When you, when, you, when you cast it in the terms of are casting it in, though, and we've got Trump over there developing, uh, he hopes a relationship with Putin, do you have any hope, based on your 40 years, 50 years experience, that there's any kind of uh, deal we can make with Russia?
0: I think there are limited deals that can be made. The question is, will the deals be uh, kept? And I think you have to pursue them, because for all the deals that Putin and Russia has broken, there are some that they keep. We've uh, identified, I think, something over 400 uh, treaties or agreements that uh, exist bilaterally or multilaterally involving Moscow and Washington, and many of them are kept. So I think you have to pursue what's in the interest of uh, both countries, maybe going after uh, uh, certain types of terrorists, maybe protecting nuclear material, maybe having to do with uh, activity in the Arctic, and, uh, and cut the deal. But I think when you cut the deal, it's very important to understand that uh, Russia, given past uh, uh, history, may break it. And you should confront, I think, at the time of deal-making, uh, Putin was saying, you know, we understand there may be a temptation for you to break it here or there, and if you do, this is what's going to happen, and happen quickly. And if he understands, perhaps, that we're serious about it and we follow through, then I think the deal has a much better chance of staying. What's happened in the past is they violated treaties, especially arms control treaties, and we haven't done anything. Well, that's, that's an incentive for future bad behavior.
1: Well, that was the issue with, uh, I think, uh, Crimea. There's no pushback, which I think has given them a, a, re- a green light on Ukraine. Yes, yes. And the... The other thing, though, is that you know the people are complaining Trump is being too soft in, in in his press conference and saying nice things, but the policies have been tough. I mean, we've had escalating sanctions, which are which are hurting, hurting him. He pulled out of the Iran deal. Um, you know, he's uh, he's armed. But we've armed the Ukrainian opposition to Putin. Uh, we bombed Syria and chemical weapons sites, which is one of the uh, uh, you know, one of the protege states of, of Russia. So our actions since Trump has been president have been pretty tough. They have been tough and much tougher than Obama, by the way. So what, what do we make out of this, this disconnect? And does it matter that we've got a new foreign policy team in Bolton
0: and? Uh, um, uh, well, to, to people that are, are worried about Trump's statements, I think you have to uh, uh, balance them as you've mentioned, with the actions that he's taken, which have been tough. And you have to balance also with the people that he's appointed. John Bolton, the National Security Advisor, is known to be uh, tough on Russia, as is Pompeo, uh, Secretary of State, and Secretary of Defense Mathis, all tough on Russia. Now, would uh, Trump have named them, knowing their positions, if he weren't uh, prepared to institute the tough policies we've just talked about? But uh, having said that, uh, some of the public statements about uh, Putin and not being tough on him the way he was tough on people in the Republican primaries or tough on the people in NATO that weren't uh, spending their fair share uh, causes some discomfort among people uh, wondering where he's going to finally go when the big deal with Putin is, is cut. and. Uh, Uh, if that's simply a negotiating posture and he's going to cut a great deal or not, we're going to find out with time. Well,
1: you know, a lot of this hysteria, I mean, Trump has said that he's inherited a foreign policy from a foreign policy establishment in the U.S. that's characterized by uh, foolishness and stupidity. Yeah. Uh, And he's just really had a uh, an act, a gore, you know, he's, gored the, he's gored the foreign policy establishment big time. And I think you look at the lineup of people who are against Trump, Comey, Brennan, Clapper, uh, the whole crew, and even a lot of the Republican people that have been appointed. It's He's really just been saying, you guys have not been getting the job done, I'm going to do it. And it reminds me that there was a saying back in uh, business school when people were taking, we're talking about risk taking and, and, and business decisions. And they said, we're in a big corporation. Um, it's better to fail conventionally than it is to succeed unconventionally. And it seems like we've, a lot of the conventional diplomacy that we've used has not succeeded in bringing about objectives we want yet. He's extremely unconventional, put it mildly. And there's some chance he might succeed. I mean, he might succeed with North Korea. I think there's a good chance of that. He's, re, he's resetting the relationship with China. A lot of turmoil there, but I think there, there could be a good outcome. Uh, I, I sort of like this disruptiveness because I think it might actually bring about some good change.
0: Well, business as usual isn't going to cut it. We've had a lot of presidents that had business as usual with North Korea. Did they get Kim to the table? They did not. And we don't know what the final outcome will be, but I note that we've seen a stoppage of nuclear testing in Korea. We've sta- seen a stoppage of the missile launching. We had successive presidents that said, NATO pay your fair share, which they've not done. And they've made nice and they haven't ruffled feathers. But I know now it's the uh, notice that uh, spending... Among NATO countries is going up, and I think you have to give Donald Trump some of the credit. Russia's bad behavior that has spooked the countries nearest Russia gets credit too, because uh, if you look at where the spending's going up the most, it's in those countries closest to uh, to Russia. But does Trump get credit, and should he be given credit? Yes.
1: So let's let's put you in the room with. Uh... With the president, and you're advising him in the aftermath of this uh, this contretemps with Helsinki. What are you What are you telling him to do now?
0: Well, I think they've set in motion working groups to explore where common interests can be met by a, a given deal, and uh, the areas on the table uh, under discussion are reasonably well known, certainly Syria, certainly Ukraine, certainly North Korea, certainly uh, types of arms control. And uh, I think my main advice would be, if your team comes up with a deal, make sure they've gamed out how Russia, if Russia should so choose, would violate that deal and let Putin know ahead of time you're going to sign it but if he goes down the road of violating it, there'll be swift action on the US and even say what the US action might be. Not just what? signing the paper, it's gave the it after the paper signed.
1: Well you've written on this and one of the one of the great things you said about Putin is you you gotta you gotta be firm with Putin. You gotta be push you gotta push back because Putin's the type of guy whose appetite is increased by eating.
0: Yeah, it's a provocative weakness. If he senses he can get something for nothing, he wants more. I think you make a very good case that had there been a reaction uh, from the international community, a uh, more serious one, when he went into Crimea, he might not have uh, launched the invasion of Eastern Ukraine. And for all his talk about it being separatist, you should remember that that is financed by Russia. The officers directing the military operation are Russian it's Russian equipment, it's Russian directed, it's a Russian invasion of Ukraine.
1: And we touched on this earlier, but it's not like Putin is living in Russia omnipotent. I mean, he does have forces around him, the oligarchs in particular, who he has to uh, keep happy or he loses his power. Although we talk about them having their bank accounts Stuffed offshore. I've heard rumors that he has as much as $50 billion out of the country.
0: Well, the way that the system works is that uh, if there's a big project, say the Olympics, there's a state budget for the uh, uh, building, the facilities to host the Olympics. Um, It's common wisdom that about half of that is siphoned off the top and uh, some of it goes to the contractors and the local political bosses but some filters up to to Putin you know, it's just their system the guy in the top should always get some
1: well i'm sure that worked in uh i'm
0: so every well, time we talk problem. about the problem is this bill uh right now this is kept uh, his money was kept in other people's names and uh, as long as he has power, he can do what he wants. But say he decided to uh, park a a paltry 10 billions with uh, Bill Walton, and all of a sudden, uh, Putin dies of a heart attack, and all that money's in your name. Is it your money, or is it Putin's relatives? Or if he loses power and is still alive, and calls you up and says, Bill, send me the money. Are you gonna send it? Maybe. Can he be sure? No.
1: Well, the uh, I'm just I'm just looking here to think about where we're. Uh, can he be helpful with North Korea?
0: It's possible, but I think it's difficult for him. Um, it's difficult for this reason. Part of his uh, coalition of uh, KGB officers are making money because they're teamed up with North Korean uh, KGB uh, equivalents that take uh, essentially slave labor to go in horrible conditions in Siberia to mine gold and all the profit then is split among the intelligence agencies with the practically nothing being paid out in labor. So some of it, the people that support Putin are making money and there are also sales into North Korea on arms and other questions. So to the extent that he would begin to put pressure on North Korea by cutting off their cash flow, there will be some objection uh, from part of his coalition. Uh, China has a problem this way too, but the Chinese economy is so much bigger, it's uh, less of a problem for China. But, well, well,
1: explain the slave labor. I mean, I've, I've heard about that, but how that, How's that manifest?
0: North Korean intelligence, uh, Uh, decide we're going to take this number of thousands or hundreds of people and they're going to be shipped because it's not their choice where they work. We'll just ship them where we want and they ship them up to uh, uh, mines in uh, Siberia and they begin to work and essentially they're fed and they're clothed more or less and they work and they're not really paid beyond that. Wow! It's like having a business with no labor cost.
1: Well, that's... uh... That's that's the Gulag system. Yes. So yeah. that's still working, but with North Korean labor.
0: Yeah, it's, I won't say it's extraordinarily widespread, but it it exists, and uh, and that's uh, that's a problem. It's uh, also there's a question: Would Russia benefit from the U.S. being uh, uh, buttoned down with problems or with uh, North Korea? Would we pay less attention to? Uh, Ukraine or what they're doing in Syria, if we're having to deal with a North Korean dictator that's unruly. So you could imagine somebody in Moscow arguing against making uh, life easier for us with North Korea. Maybe a deal can be cut, maybe, but uh, Putin will want something back. And the question is, what will he want back if he helps with North Korea? And is it a situation where he gets what he wants up front and then can renege later after... Uh, not helping North Korea for six months, maybe he's back uh, to uh, business as usual after eight or ten months.
1: Yeah, with, well, that's been the pattern.
0: Yeah, it's, it's 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 dicey.
1: All right, so let's move from uh, Eastern Russia to Western, the Western border. Uh, Trump went over to the NATO meeting and ingratiated himself by telling them they all got to pay up, uh, which I agree they should if they want the uh, the mutual defense. Uh, uh, obligations that meet, they ought to meet their mutual defense obligations, and then he also took on Angela Merch, Merkel about the uh, pipeline deal uh, between uh, Russia and Germany, which makes Germany uh, highly dependent. What is it? 70% of their natural gas now mm-hmm. would, be, would be slated to come from uh, 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 Russia. What, what's going on there?
0: We just, uh, a couple weeks ago, hosted the uh, heads of uh, four European parliaments and the deputy head of a fifth. The deputy head was uh, from Poland. The head couldn't come because the Polish parliament was in session. And they came to to Washington to talk against uh, the pipeline. Why are they against it and why should the US be against it? They're afraid if the pipeline uh, bypasses uh, uh, Ukraine or if gas is not going through Poland, that Russia is in a position to put more pressure on both countries like Ukraine and Poland and the Baltic states, uh, as well as Western Europe. Imagine if there is a uh, Russian move against one of the Baltic countries, Latvia, Lithuania, and Estonia. And uh, it's the middle of winter and Putin says to Germany, we're gonna cut off your gas if you don't come along with us. Well, that's a type of pressure that uh, those in mid Europe that are near the, the Russian border do not want uh, uh, Putin to be able to exert. They think that it's much better if uh, uh, a bigger percentage of gas is ac- accessed from the United States, and we're building, uh, I think, five terminals to export liquid n- natural gas. So I think both from the standpoint of not making Western Europe overly dependent. Upon Russia, and from the standpoint of boosting U.S. exports, uh, the Trump administration has had a very good policy against this uh, Nord Stream Two pipeline.
1: The uh, the, it raises the question now: if they're doing that much, Germany and Russia doing that much together uh, is NATO obsolete?
0: Well, it depends how you view the threat from Russia. if you're in a country like Poland that has been invaded many, many times by Russia, uh, been part of the Russian empire, same with the Baltic states, you certainly don't think NATO is obsolete. You think that's the only way to defend uh, your borders because you can't do it by yourself. And uh, everybody talks about Ukraine, but it's important to remember that the uh, Scandinavian countries like Sweden uh, are uh, and Finland are upping their defense efforts too because of Russian incursions into the territorial waters with submarines because Russian uh, bombers have uh, gone into their defense zones. Uh, If you're close to to, uh, Russia, you don't think NATO is obsolete. You think that's the way you can live peacefully within your borders without having a heavy Russian influence, if not uh, something worse, uh, namely military occupation.
1: So the Germans don't live right next to the border no. and uh, so they're figuring they've got some buffers and they can think longer term and those are not their, their, their issues. The Swedes issues, of uh, Latvia, places like that, they, don't, they, they have different problems and Germans have their own problems and uh, uh getting for the Germans what the Germans need.
0: Uh, there are people in Germany that echo that point of view But uh, when borders start being uh, changed by force, when international agreements are in mass, torn up, uh, the instability is is not good for the business and prosperity in Western Europe. And should, for instance, Poland fall again under Russia's sway, then Germany would have the border with Russia.
1: Well, we're treating Russia in in sort of Cold War terms as this massive, monolithic, powerful state that, but you look at Russia and its economy, its economy is not, it's like what, what 20th of, uh, of our size. And, you know, by comparison to China, uh, Russian's economy is, a is is, t- is, is relatively small. And, and also you look at the, the demographic problems they have in Russia, the, there's massive problems with alcohol and drugs, and there's a, There's, you know, you go to the malls in Moscow and it's beautiful, but there's, but you look beyond or behind that a little bit and uh, um, there's a hollowing out of the society in Russia, is there not?
0: All that is true and and more. The long-term trajectory for Russia, uh, based on uh, what's happening under Putin's rule, is extremely bad. But for as weak as the Russian economy is, they have a big nuclear arsenal and they've shown... uh, the willingness to kill people and expand their borders uh, by force. The North Korean economy is much smaller than Russia's, but we worry about them because of of missiles and nukes and unpredictability. Would they actually use them? We've concluded they might, and that's why we worry about North Korea. We worry about Russia because they've gone into Georgia to change borders, they've gone into Ukraine to change borders, and uh, they may do it to other countries.
1: Okay, final word for you. Uh, circling back to where we started, the uh, the infamous press conference. Does it have any significance, uh, long term or short term, or do we just uh, hit 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 the reset? button? I think
0: people were uh, rattled, many of them, by uh, Putin's or uh, Trump's gut reaction not to defend his own intel community and to give sway to the arguments of. Putin saying he wasn't involved in disturbing the elections. Uh, Walking that back I think has helped but probably some doubts remain and uh, people will be watching very, uh, both in the US and other countries, will be watching very closely uh, the actions of the United States. If they continue to be tough as they have been against uh, Russia, uh, then I think this will be long forgotten. But if there's uh, any indication that they're going in the other way, uh, then uh, this uh, comment at the press conference will be shown over and over again.
1: Herman, thank you. Uh, We will stay tuned. We'll watch this closely. And I'd like to have you back on uh, uh, to talk about uh, things as they develop further. And uh, as usual, thanks for your insights. And uh, I'm glad you're on our side.
0: Bill, it's always a pleasure to talk with you.
1: Okay. Herman Herman Perchner, always wise man, as usual. Thanks, Herman.
0: Thanks for listening. Want more? Be sure to subscribe at thebillwaltonshow.com or on iTunes. Amazon is hiring near you.